From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Sui, with you on this Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, come to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, casualty number of the Hawaiian wildfires could rise as search efforts continue. The U.S. state of Georgia has charged Donald Trump over the 2020 election. China overtakes Greece to be the largest ship-owning country. In business, China's home prices down in July. In sports, Spain threw to the Women's World Cup final. In culture and entertainment, an art troupe in China returns to fame with new stage plays. Now today's top stories. Search and rescue teams on Maui continue to work among the areas that were scorched by the wildfires on the island. They've only covered about a quarter of the land. More than 100 people have been confirmed dead, and that number is expected to increase. Greg Navarro reports. Much of the focus here in Maui remains on the historic town of Lahaina, the town that was virtually destroyed by that very fast-moving fire. Specifically, they continue to comb through what's left of that town, searching for remains of people, hoping to identify people who are still unaccounted for. Initial reports of about 2,000 people missing have now been downgraded to 1,300. About 20 cadaver dogs and their teams are combing through, going through the very slow and methodical process of trying to identify people. They're asking for the public to help those people with family members, loved ones still missing to provide anything they can, including DNA, to help with that identification process. There are other fires that continue to burn, including one not far from where I am in an area called the Upcountry. That destroyed about 20 homes. Uh, the authorities are continue to keep an eye as the winds continue to be an issue around here. So again, the primary focus continues to be on Lahaina. At this point, the governor is saying that uh, the, all of this still in phase one, which is trying to find those people who are missing and then identify bodies. That was Greg Navarro on Maui Island in Hawaii. At least 50 people are injured in Japan in heavy rain, high winds from tropical storm land. Authorities have advised more than 230,000 people to take shelter. Lands forecast to travel north toward the Sea of Japan. Chris Gilbert reports from Tokyo. Well, Cyclone Lam crashed into central Japan on Tuesday, bringing gale force winds and torrential rain. Forecasters had expected a month's worth of rain in just 24 hours, but uh, some areas, in fact, saw three times that amount. The deluge is uh, swelling rivers to bursting point, particularly in Kyoto, where the rivers swept away pedestrian bridges, burst their banks, and the floodwaters entered people's homes. Residents using buckets to clear the waters from their entranceways and living rooms, some saying they'd never seen anything like it in the 60 years that they'd lived in the city. Uh, the rains are now heading towards western uh, Japan. Authorities are urging people to stay vigilant. 
and stay inside, not to venture out unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, and even though the typhoon has been downgraded to a severe tropical storm, uh, authorities are urging vigilance as it heads towards Japan's northern island of Hokkaido later in the week. That was Chris Gilbert reporting. Elsewhere, Canada's Northwest Territories has declared a state of emergency after wildfire destroyed one remote community and now poses a risk to the region's capital, Yellowknife. The government has approved federal assistance and deployed armed forces to help with the firefighting efforts. Wildfires have reached nearly all 13 Canadian provinces and territories this year, forcing home evacuations and disrupting energy production. Blazes have scorched more than 130,000 square kilometers of land and forced nearly 168,000 people out of their homes. Now to India, where heavy rains have caused a tomato crisis after endless downpours damaged crops and disrupted supply chains. Experts say prices have tripled in the last few weeks, sparking concerns in Indian households as the tomato is a vital ingredient in many of their favorite dishes. Sroshi Mukherjee reports. Garlic, onions and chilies definitely add flavor to a variety of Indian curries, but experienced home cooks say a tomato adds real depth to the taste. Tomatoes are an integral part of Indian cooking and rising prices are making them unaffordable for thousands in the country. Nena Vadolia is a homemaker and she is now having to come up with creative alternatives to replace tomatoes in her curries. I use tomatoes in every dish I make. There's no flavor if you don't add tomatoes. Now I have to put tomato sauce or ketchup in the gravy as an alternative because I don't have a choice. The fruit is being sold in many shops between two to three dollars per kilogram, which is almost six times the usual price. Rizwan Hashmi, who lives in Mumbai, says he has no choice but to go to wholesale markets to buy tomatoes. I have seven people living at home. I need about 10 to 12 kilograms of tomatoes in a month. But tomatoes have become so expensive that now I've got to go to the wholesale markets to buy them. I bought one kilo, which will last me three to four days, but I'll have to use it very judiciously. Rising prices aren't just impacting the Indian middle class. Big corporations like McDonald's have also taken a hit. The fast food joint has decided to drop tomatoes from its menu temporarily till prices drop. With the arrival of the monsoon season, consumers usually expect prices to go up in the months of July and August. But this time, the cost of the humble tomato has skyrocketed. Sonu Gupta is a vegetable vendor in Mumbai. Because prices have shot up so much, people have cut down on buying tomatoes. A person who would buy two kilograms of tomatoes is now buying half or less than half a kilo. It's not just tomatoes. The heavy rains have pushed up prices of other staples like onions, ginger and garlic as well. Experts say climate change has led to an increase in erratic and extreme weather patterns which could impact food security in the region. India has seen high prices and unaffordable goods toppling governments in the past. Political analysts say with elections just around the corner, the ruling BJP government is feeling the heat from stubborn inflation. They say if this trend continues, it could become a big issue for Indian voters. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Sriyoshi Mukherjee in New Delhi. Coming up, the U.S. state of Georgia has charged Donald Trump over the 2020 election. Bomb went off. I have dozens of friends who are missing and possibly The most devastating U.S. wildfires in a century continue to ravage Hawaii. This week on Climate Watch, we look into the unprecedented wildfires in Hawaii as we explore ways to manage and mitigate the increasing threat of extreme weather events. Together, we can make a difference. It's eight minutes past the hour. A grand jury in the U.S. state of Georgia has charged former President Donald Trump with trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. Arrest warrants have been issued for the leading Republican Party presidential candidate and 18 allies. All 19 defendants are charged with violating Georgia's racketeering act. Nathan King reports from Washington. Moss is a former election worker in the U.S. state of Georgia. She was allegedly harassed by the Trump campaign on claims she committed election fraud 
in a bid to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. This turned my life upside down. Um, I no longer give out my business card. I don't transfer calls. I um, don't want anyone knowing my name. She was later cleared of any wrongdoing. Her experience makes up a small part of a 98-page indictment unsealed Monday night and includes 13 felony counts against former President Trump and a total of 41 counts against 18 other individuals with charges that Trump and his supporters in Georgia engaged in a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the presidential election. The indictment alleges that rather than abide, abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election results. The charges uses statutes normally reserved for organized crime syndicates. The potential crimes range from stealing poll data to trying to seat fake electors on January the 6th that could have delivered Georgia's 16 electoral college votes to Trump. Trump scrambled to overturn the results of the election, a moment encapsulated in the publicly released phone call between Trump and the Secretary of State for Georgia, who's responsible for overseeing elections. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. Trump denies the latest charges, writing on his social media account partly. So the witch hunt continues. 19 people indicted tonight, including the former president of the United States, me, by an out-of-control, very corrupt district attorney who campaigned and raised money on I Will Get Trump. The former president has now been indicted four times in the past five months. He faces up to 20 years if convicted of the Georgia charges. Trump, of course, is fighting back, portraying himself as a martyr targeted by a partisan legal system. He's raising millions in campaign donations too. But there's one big problem for the former and potentially next US president is that Georgia is charging him with state crimes. As president, he would not be able to pardon himself or shut down the investigation. That was Nathan King on the indictment of former U.S. president and leading Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. The Egyptian foreign minister has called for respect for Syria as a sovereign state. Samir Shokri made remarks at the, the first meeting of the Arab Ministerial Liaison Committee on Syria. There is no permanent crisis or constant situation, especially when it is related to people's interests. The Syrian people deserve international support and the acknowledgement of what they have suffered during this crisis. And the international community needs to exert all efforts to reach an agreement point. Syria is a sovereign state, and its sovereignty and the unity of its land has to be respected. The meeting in Cairo is the first of its kind since Syria restored its membership in the Arab League in May. The League formed the Ministerial Liaison Committee on Syria to work on finding a settlement for the country's crisis. The committee comprises the Arab League chief and foreign ministers of Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Iraq and Lebanon. Syria saw its membership in the Arab League suspended in 2011 when its conflict broke out. A group of UN agencies are warning that four months of conflict in Sudan have caused huge humanitarian disasters and human rights violations in the country. Spokesperson William Spindler for UN High Commissioner for Refugees says over 4.3 million people have been forced to flee since the conflict started in April. This includes over 900,000 refugees and asylum seekers who fled to neighboring countries and 195,000 South Sudanese forced to return to South Sudan. Within Sudan, over 3.2 million people have been internally displaced, including more than 187,000 refugees already residing in the country at the start of the crisis.
As people continue to flee, displacement sites within Sudan and in neighboring countries are rapidly becoming overcrowded. The UN says millions of people in Sudan are running out of food and some are dying due to lack of health care. Officials from the UN Human Rights Office says tentative figures indicate that over 4,000 people have so far been killed in the conflict, including hundreds of civilians. The office has also received dozens of reports of sexual violence incidents. Officials are calling for an immediate stop of the fighting and the resumption of political talks. They say civilians need to be protected from military activities and granted urgent and impeded humanitarian access. The British Prime Minister says the country must ban the entry of illegal migrants. Rishi Sunak says alternatives must be found, as a huge sum of money has been spent on housing illegal migrants in hotels across the country, which puts pressure on local communities. More fundamentally, we've just got to stop people coming here in the first place illegally. That's why one of my five priorities is to stop the boats. We've passed tough new laws that when they come into force will enable us to do that. And we're already seeing numbers this year are lower than they've been in previous years. That's the first time that's happened. Look, I know there's a long way to go on this, but I am determined to fix this problem. And we are making progress and people can be reassured that we will keep at it. Sunak was speaking after 39 asylum seekers were evacuated from a barge moored off the south coast of England following the discovery of the uh, Legionella bacteria in the ship's water system. The bacteria could cause a serious lung infection. A British House office spokesperson says no individuals on board the barge show symptoms of the disease and they are provided with proper advice and support. Media reports say the discovery of the bacteria came at the end of a campaign hoping to demonstrate the government's actions to limit the number of asylum seekers arriving via small vessels. It's been two years since the Taliban regained power in Afghanistan. The group celebrated the occasion with a national holiday. But the country still faces severe economic and security challenges and may cause from both home and the international community to allow girls access to education. Zimrilai Abbasan has more from Kabul. Afghanistan's Taliban government marks two years in power. A UN study shows the economy has contracted by more than 20% since the Taliban's return. Foreign aid from NGOs has dried up while US sanctions have frozen billions in Afghan assets. The country remains one of the world's poorest, with 9 out of 10 Afghan families experiencing food insecurity. Despite this, Taliban fighters have been celebrating in Kabul, chanting jihad, freedom and victory against the US and NATO forces. There is a very good security environment in the country. During the last 20 years, lots of our people were killed. But now we enjoy overwhelming security. We hope that the Taliban could conquer the hearts of people. They should take some steps accordingly. They should reopen secondary schools for girls, tackle the increasing unemployment, and resume universities for female students. Taliban-led government organized events in different parts of the country. At Kabul High School, the authorities said that 10 million students are attending school now. Among their biggest achievements, the Taliban leadership side improved security, ongoing reconstruction projects, mining, and the continued payment of government salaries despite the economic crisis. We were able to maintain better relationships with Afghanistan's neighboring countries. Also, we have maintained relationships with various other countries. There are around 16 embassies who have been actively operating, and we also can have our embassies and consulates in these countries. The international community has called upon the Taliban government to reopen secondary schools and universities for female students and to create a positive environment for all people. I'm wholeheartedly saddened. I'm so upset about the living condition of young girls and their parents. They've been living in trauma because of their education and work-deprived children who've been paying a very big price. In the country's major cities, citizens have been demanding the reopening of secondary schools and universities to female students, a call that the Taliban leadership has largely rejected. The one religious seminary has agreed to provide women with a modern and technical education. That was Samuri Ali Abbasin on the situation in Afghanistan two years after the Taliban returned to power in the country. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, China overtakes Greece to be the largest ship-only country.
the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. It's 18 minutes past the hour. An executive of the China Shipowners Association says the country now ranks first among the world's shipowning countries. The association says China has overtaken Greece to become the largest shipowning country concerning gross tonnage in the world. Executive Vice President Zhang Shuo says the core and essence of China becoming the world's largest shipowner is its robust economic growth and expanding trade influence. China is the world's second largest economy in terms of import and export scale. In terms of freight volume, China's foreign trade ranks first in the world, according to the WTO statistics. China's total foreign trade in goods in 2022 was 6.3 trillion U.S. dollars. Shipping mainly serves foreign trade. And the huge foreign trade import and export of cargo transportation constitutes a strong demand for shipping. Among the world's top ten ports in terms of cargo and container throughput, China accounts for eight and seven, respectively. Zhang adds another reason is the strong ship manufacturing sector in China. The association says the Chinese shipping industry has seen a dramatic boost in the dry bulk and container ship sectors over the past years. Zhang says there's still large room for development concerning the scale of China's shipping capacity. A report by the China Tourism Academy says Macau topped outbound travel destinations among mainland tourists in the first half of the year. The special administrative region accounted for more than half of the 40 million outbound trips by mainland tourists in the first six months. Many mainland tourists have enjoyed rich cultural sceneries at famous tourist attractions in Macau, including the ruins of St. Paul's and Shenandoah Square. Visiting Macau is a pleasant experience, with good service and warm residents. We have always wanted to have a look and enjoy the environment and food here. The culture here in Macau is quite diverse, and there's plenty of delicious food to eat, including pork chop buns in tea restaurants. We can enjoy a good variety of cuisines. Macau Travel Industry Council Chair Andy Wu says tourism in the city continues to recover during the summer vacation in July and August, with the average number of tours reaching almost 90,000 per day. As tourism is picking up in July and August, I am confident that the annual inbound tourist number will reach 24 million to 25 million, which means about 70,000 tourists will enter Macau per day. This is about 70% of the pre-pandemic number. Local authorities have launched a series of campaigns to attract visitors and promote its tourism industry, including Art Macau and Distinctive Shops program. Many countries are anticipating an increase in the number of Chinese visitors after China recently resumed group tours to more destinations. New Zealand is tailoring tourist services for Chinese holidaymakers. China was the second largest source of tourists for New Zealand before COVID-19. Owen Poland reports from Auckland. In the heart of downtown Auckland, a new tourist attraction is preparing to welcome a fresh wave of Chinese visitors. The forward bookings、um, are looking incredibly positive. So, from about October onwards, we're seeing a, a dramatic increase in visitation to our attraction、um, from the Chinese market. Weta Unleashed takes visitors through imaginary film sets, where they'll also meet a Mandarin-speaking troll called Jeff. I'm your son. <laughs> And a phone app has been specially created to guide the visitors. It's an audio guide, so our Mandarin-speaking guests can read and listen、um, for each room that they go through of our experience. New Zealand is one of 20 nations that have approved destination status for group tours, but there's also a new generation of free, independent travellers looking for adventure. 
now health is very important their safety is very important now they actually want nature the adventure travel what they're looking for is all changed no longer we're just going for shopping but chinese tourists have a reputation for spending more than other cultures when they're on holiday and it's hoped that will continue one two three auckland's popular sky city complex offers a range of thrill-seeking activities as well as two hotels and more than 20 bars and restaurants and they're confident that chinese tourism will recover yeah of course yeah we can see the the transland uh, and the new zealand china relationships is going, uh, is going very well so we are expecting more chinese tourism coming back to new zealand Experts believe that the key to future success lies in marketing destinations through social media. China is so digitally advanced. Everything they do starts with online. And a key platform, for example, is like Rate or Xiaohongshu, Little Rate Book, which really is a platform for reviews. When it comes to dining out, burgers served by a Chinese-mode robot are popular in Auckland. But you can't beat the traditional Chinese food at Huamei Restaurant, which celebrates all the Chinese festivals. And there's no surprise about the most popular dishes. Peking duck, uh, xiaolongbao, and a variety of uh, quality dancing from Cantonese. That was a report from Auckland about a return of Chinese tourists to New Zealand. San Francisco residents can now pay for a ride and driverless robo-taxi. City regulators gave the green light last week, but there are questions over whether the taxi and the technology powering them are safe. Mark New finds out more. San Francisco recently became the first city in America to allow driverless robo-taxis to operate 24-7 throughout the city. But it hasn't been an easy road. The testing has been full of mishaps, with driverless cars inexplicably stopping in traffic. The San Francisco Fire Department documented 55 incidents involving autonomous vehicles. So we're saying if somebody dies or people are killed because these vehicles are blocking the road, are they going to hold the executives personally responsible for the deaths of people because of these robo-taxis? But that didn't stop California's Public Utility Commission from voting 3-1 to one to approve expansion, much to the disappointment of taxi drivers. It's going to hurt us. Uber and Lyft, they're already hurting our business. And then we don't need an, uh, an additional competition. But just a day after the approval, social media lit up with videos of cruise autonomous vehicles stopping and causing traffic jams as the city's Outside Lands Music Festival took place. Crews apologized on X, formerly known as Twitter, saying the large festival posed wireless bandwidth constraints, causing delayed connectivity to our vehicles. Robo-taxi passengers we talked to say they've enjoyed their rides for the most part, but have experienced hiccups. It was some weird intersection, and I kind of just stopped in the middle because there were some cars that were coming. And it obviously just didn't really know what to do and just stopped. It stopped for a reason. It was behind like a tow truck or something with hazards on in the middle of the street. And the car, I don't know, I guess had a hard time detecting what it was and going around it. Um, so I was waiting behind that tow truck for like five minutes and someone calls and they said, we're trying to figure it out. All of these things are glitches and bugs in the algorithm. The, the good thing about it is the car stops. It's not accelerating. It's not taking any other action. The problem is if it's not done in San Francisco, it's going to be done somewhere else. And this is the opportunity that we don't want to lose. In light of the recent driverless car fueled traffic jams, the president of San Francisco's Board of Supervisors says he's looking to file a petition to revisit the expansion approval. He and many others believe the vehicles are far from perfect. But the question is, will they make the streets safer in the long run? That was Mark New on the development of driverless taxi in San Francisco. Office workers in Shanghai have started gliding through the city's waterways in a kayak on their commute to work. They found kayaking an alternative to boring and traffic jam commutes. The kayakers say they enjoyed a peaceful view of local scenery and even wildlife when they travel on water. They hope more safety supports will be in place. Some local clubs in Shanghai have started offering lessons for those interested in kayaking, including commuters and even children. A summer camp by the Shanghai Youth Sports Association is held at the Green Kayak Club. About 120 children have signed up for the camp. Now let's check the weather. Beijing is 24 overnight tomorrow. Slight rain with a high of 34. Chongqing is 29 this evening, sunny and 38 tomorrow. Lhasa is 12 overnight, tomorrow will be cloudy and 25. Hong Kong is 27 tonight, tomorrow showers with 30. 
Elsewhere, Tokyo is 26 overnight. It'll see light rain with 33 on Thursday. Islamabad is 24 tonight. Tomorrow, slight rain and 34. Bangkok is 26 overnight, then light rain and 34 on Thursday. In Africa, Nairobi will see slight rain with a high of 24. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is 8 this evening. Tomorrow, slight rain with a high of 18. Auckland is 8 overnight. Tomorrow, slight rain and 14. Port Vila will have slight rain with 26 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, casualty number of the Hawaiian wildfires could rise as search efforts continue. The U.S. did. Georgia has charged Donald Trump over the 2020 election. China overtakes Greece to be the largest ship-owning country. So we with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. My this kind of magical woman. Because Mongol music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Bahn. The difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 Or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了，我是本地人 There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好 Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. So we with you on this Wednesday. Still to come in business, China's home prices down in July. In sports, Spain through to the Women's World Cup final. In culture and entertainment, an art troupe in China returns to fame with new stage plays. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X, formerly Twitter account, CGTN Radio. But first, today's headlines. Here is Tianyu. Thank you, Su Yi. The seventh China South Asia Expo has kicked off in Kunming, capital city of southwest China's Yunnan province. More than 30,000 exhibitors, representatives, and guests from 85 countries and regions, as well as international organizations, are expected to attend both online and in-person activities during the five-day expo. The first expo was held in 2013. The expo has now become an important platform for multilateral diplomacy, economic and trade cooperation, and cultural exchanges between China, South Asian, and Southeast Asian countries. China's defense minister has reaffirmed China's comprehensive, co- cooperative, and sustainable security concept. Li Xiangfu told Moscow Conference on International Security that Beijing adopts a security path that chooses dialogue over confrontation, partnership over alliance, and win-win over zero-sum. Li also says the Chinese army is willing to strengthen mutual trust in military security and establish a security cooperation platform with other countries. He also says the Taiwan question is China's internal affair and allows for no external forces to intervene. He says. Any attempts to use Taiwan to contain China are doomed to fail. The U.S. military is helping provide residents in Maui with federal assistance after the Hawaiian Islands was scorched by devastating wildfires. Pentagon spokesperson Sabrina Singh says the military has been coordinating their work with the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Right now, our efforts, as I mentioned at the top, are really focused on search and rescue and、um, working within the community to. To、um, whether it's flowing in supplies or、um, getting, I mean, knitting closely together with FEMA to make sure that they have everything that they need when they're conducting these search and rescue operations. That's really our focus right now. 
She says one of the assignments the military is doing with FEMA is conducting inter-island air and sea transportation. So for the movement of cargo, if there needs to be,、um, you know, more bottled water brought in, additional personnel and sp- supplies and equipment, we'll be providing that. The White House says nearly 500 federal personnel have been sent to Maui. It says the U.S. Coast Guard and Navy supported maritime search and rescue operations in the aftermath of the fires, while Army helicopters supported firefighting efforts. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has been helping clear roads and stabilize electric service, and working with the Environmental Protection Agency on removing hazardous waste. Deadly clashes between two armed factions in Libya's capital Tripoli have have killed 27 people and injured over 100 others. Tuesday's violence is the worst the city had seen so far this year. The situation comes after the special deterrence force agreed to hand over detained commander Mahmoud Hamza to a government security support group. The United Nations has called on the factions to address differences through dialogue to preserve the security gains achieved in recent years. Niger's military junta says it's open for talks to resolve a regional crisis caused by the coup. West African regional bloc ECOWAS, along with countries including Russia and the United States, have been calling for a peaceful resolution. ECOWAS are meeting later this week in Ghana to prepare for a possible military intervention after the junta rejected a call to reinstate the democratically elected president. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin has spoken with Mali's military leader about Niger. The Kremlin says Mali initiated the phone call, which focused on ending the situation. The UN Special Envoy for Global Education is urging the international community to work towards getting education to the people of Afghanistan. Gordon Brown says they will support education for Afghan girls who have difficult difficulties in going to school. The denial of education to Afghan girls and employment to Afghan women is gender discrimination, which should count as a crime against humanity, and it should be prosecuted by the International Criminal Court. And so today, the international community must step up its efforts to restore the freedom of girls to go to school, women to university, to work, to walk in public places, and to enjoy basic liberties, and end what many have called gender apartheid. Against girls and women, the UN found education cannot wait has initiated a campaign to increase awareness about the education rights of Afghan girls. The campaign aims to elevate the voices of Afghan girls onto the global stage as world leaders gather at the UN General Assembly for the Sustainable Development Goals Summit next month. North Korea says U.S. Army Private Travis King wants refuge there or in a third country. Local media say King, that King decided to enter North Korea because he harbored ill feelings against issues including maltreatment and discrimination in the U.S. and the Army. This is Pyongyang's first public acknowledgement of King's crossing from South Korea last month. The U.S. is requesting more information about the soldier. Thanks for the update. That was Tian Yu. This is Sui in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's home prices down in July. Would you like to receive the latest news updates about China and the rest of the globe? Tune in to the Beijing Hour every weekday for the latest in politics, business, sports, and entertainment from a Chinese perspective. Subscribe to the Beijing Hour for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thirty-seven minutes past the hour. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland closed lower on Wednesday. Timothy Pope has more. Chinese mainland stock markets continued、uh, pretty weak despite the central bank's cuts to key interest rates. The Shenzhen component declined a bit less than one、uh, percent.、Uh, data showing average new home prices in China fell for the first time this year didn't dent property developer stocks, and that was perhaps partly due to changes to the down payment rules,、uh, with money being able to come from the Housing Provident Fund.、Uh, it was the only sector advancing. Metro Land Corporation shares jumped by their 10 percent daily limit, while、uh, larger home builders, Poly Developments and Gemdale Corp, were also rising. 
Tech shares were uh, leading the sell-off again, though. Uh, there were continued falls for Chinese chip stocks and software developers, too. Uh, Beijing Kingsoft Office Software was one of the biggest losers. Uh, it declined by 7.5%. And uh, other losses among consumer, industrial and uh, energy stocks as well uh, added to those losses. That was Mark analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hansen Index dropped over 1.3%. In Japan, the Nikkei also dipped over 1.4%. July's home price data came right after China cut interest rates on two lending facilities, which can affect mortgages as well as developers' financing. Some analysts are now predicting that the bank's one-year loan prime rate is also expected to drop this month, which could have an even bigger impact on the market. Zhang Shixuan has more from Shanghai. Construction started only six months ago. But by the end of next year, the three residential buildings and 21 villas will be completed at Shanghai's Zhangjiang Science City. Though sales are not open yet, the reception center is already seeing 30 to 50 groups of clients a day during weekends. Even those from outside Shanghai are welcome, just so they meet the local tax requirements. My wife and I are from outside Shanghai. But we've been paying local social insurance for five years, and so we want to save some money and buy a new home. We just got married this year. We're looking for a small apartment for around seven million yuan. We have met the requirement for social insurance payments, and we just got married, so we want to buy a new home in Shanghai. We both work in Pudong, so we want an apartment here. The company has 14 residential property projects under development. More than half of them intended for families looking to upgrade from homes they now own. Take this project in Zhongjiang, for example. Since we opened our reception center at the end of May, we've welcomed more than 1,600 groups. People have been paying a lot of attention to it. Most of them are from the Pudong New Area, families of three. Most are buying for themselves and to trade up from where they're living now. The company has been speeding up its delivery times. This June, its project in Shanghai's Kangqiao area made delivery to home buyers three months ahead of schedule. It was also the first housing development in the city to make simultaneous delivery of both apartments and their property ownership certificates too. A big saving on paperwork time for everyone. That efficiency has a lot to do with the faster financing that is now available. In the past, our project loans usually required an application process that took one and a half to two months. But recently, two of our projects in Zhaolu and Huinan applied for development loans, and they only took a month. We've been paying all our contractors on time according to the agreements. The National Statistics Bureau last month released data showing that in the first half of this year, the completion area of residential properties rose almost 20 percent from a year ago. That was Zhang Shixuan reporting. SF Airlines says it's launched a new air cargo route linking Lezhou in central China with Abu Dhabi. Early Wednesday morning, a Boeing freighter took off from Lezhou Huahu Airport, marking the launch of the first cargo route connecting the airport with the Middle East. A weekly round-trip air cargo service is scheduled for this route, with a total of around 200 tons of Air Express capacity. SF Airlines is the aviation branch of China's leading courier enterprise, SF Express. It operates a fleet of 84 freighters, connecting more than 90 destinations at home and globally. China and Denmark have been collaborating for years on energy efficiency and green technology. This year, the two this year the two countries signed a new agreement to boost cooperation in the energy sector. Among the array of projects under the agreement is the notable initiative centered on alternative fuel. Evangelo Sipsa says more. In the country of the Little Mermaid, bicycles, and wind turbines, Denmark is leading the way on renewable energy. It's now looking at methanol, a less costly and easier to transport fuel source. We are able to produce a lot of electricity that we don't need ourselves.、Mm -hmm. And in order to distribute that, what do you do? You can put up power cables to Central Europe, or you can also convert it into fuels. And that's sort of why we are we are approaching 55%, 60%, sometimes renewable energy, sometimes beyond、mm -hmm. for moments or beyond 100%. So we actually need to start to convert those fuels. Uh, that that electricity into fuels, and that process has grabbed the attention of China. 
is basically a dependency on foreign uh, energy imports. So they're trying to solve exactly the same problem as everybody else, mainly being able to produce uh, the, the, their own energy. And in order to distribute energy, uh, sometimes, yes, you need to convert into methanol. And yes, sometimes you need to convert that methanol back into electricity on board a truck or something else. And that's why we have been seeing a lot of interest from China for our fuel cell technology in terms of making that conversion from methanol to electricity on a truck or a ship or whatever. The technology could be used to create an alternative, renewable, more sustainable fuel to gasoline for vehicles, replacing diesel generators and combustion engines. That is what Blue World Technologies works on in the northern port city of Aalborg. In collaboration with the Chinese auto manufacturer Gili, they are now testing an alternative fuel for sedans and trucks. Both Denmark and China are heavily invested in renewables, from methanol and solar to winds. They have been cooperating in renewable energy for several years and they have identified that the green transition is the key to further strengthening their ties. ties that have been developing for over 70 years and that have not only benefited them too, but the wider region. The two countries have been leading the race to renewables. China with its vast quantities of wind generation capacity and Denmark with its green technologies. The combination could create a stronger, more efficient and sustainable future. That was Evangelo Sipsis reporting from Denmark. Customs data shows that foreign trade of China's Henan province has reached over 440 billion yuan, or over 60 billion US dollars, in the first seven months of this year. The central province's exports increased to over 290 billion yuan, up 3.2% year on year, while its imports total about 150 billion yuan. From January to July, the United States, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, and the European Union remain Henan's top trading partners. During the same period, Henan's trade with the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership member countries amounted to over 130 billion yuan, an increase of 2.8%. The province also saw its foreign trade with countries along the Belton Road grow 10.8% to over 130 billion yuan. A Washington Post reports that social media company X, formerly known as Twitter, delayed access to links to content on the Reuters and New York Times websites, as well as rivals like Blue Sky, Facebook, and Instagram. The report says clicking a link on X to one of the affected websites resulted in a delay of about five seconds before the web page loaded, citing tests it conducted on Tuesday. Reuters also saw a similar delay in tests it ran. By late Tuesday afternoon, X appeared to have eliminated the delay. When contacted for comment, X confirmed the delay was removed but did not elaborate. X owner Elon Musk has previously lashed out the news organizations and journalists who have reported critically on his companies, which include Tesla and SpaceX. Twitter had previously prevented users from posting links to competing social media platforms. You are listening to the Beijing Hour coming up in sports, Spain through to the Women's World Cup final. The FIFA Women's World Cup has captivated audiences worldwide. The action on the field has been entertaining, dramatic and featured footballing skills from the world's greatest players. Join us for this week's episode of Sideline Story to hear our discussions that focus on the semi-final action, a preview of the final as well as various talking points that have dominated the headlines throughout this exciting tournament. It's 47 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports, here is Brendan Yates. Thank you, Sui. And we begin with football news again today. A superb strike from Olga Carmona fired Spain into their first Women's World Cup final with a dramatic 2-1 win against Sweden in Auckland. Spain's Selma Paraluelo opened the scoring in the 81st minute to create very exciting football in the closing stages as Sweden equalized seven minutes later through Rebecca Blomqvist. Carmona's winning goal came just moments after Sweden's equaliser. Spain coach Jorge Wilde praised his team's performance and mentality after the game. At the beginning of the second half, things were not as we expected, so we had to change something. And we thought that with Selma, we might have greater depth than with Alexia. Then she had a fresh start, and we scored. But our opponents drew level, and once again this team, with their strong frame of mind, we knew this would be a very demanding match, so they were prepared for that. 
and they proved it. And Elga got the beautiful goal that she scored, and that moves us into the final in Sydney. The final of the tournament will be taking place on Sunday. Six games, nine goals, one finals appearance. Lionel Messi continued to amaze in Inter Miami's 4-1 win over the Philadelphia Union in the semifinals of the League's Cup at Subaru Park. First half goals from Messi, Joseph Martinez and Jordi Alba took the visiting team to an insurmountable lead as Miami marched into the inaugural League's Cup final, winning every one of its games since the Argentina World Cup champion joined the club in July. Inter Miami midfielder David Ruiz says Messi changed the team. It's changed a lot. Everybody has a winning mentality and everybody's ready to play every tournament, win every uh, game and every final. Gerardo Martino's team will face Nashville SC in the final this weekend. And in transfer news, West Ham's deal to sign Manchester United defender Harry Maguire has fallen through. Reports have emerged that a departure for Maguire this late in the transfer window would have left Manchester United little time to bring in a replacement, which was of great concern to them. Manager Eric Ten Hag has always said Maguire is an important part of the squad and that he is happy for him to stay and fight for his place. Last week, West Ham agreed a fee in the region of £30 million to sign Maguire, but the defender will not move to the London Stadium. Moving on to tennis headlines and Chinese women's number one Zhong Chin Wen got her Cincinnati Open underway with a winning start. She beat Alexandra Sasnovich in straight sets and will next meet veteran Venus Williams. Williams early, earlier recorded her first win over top 20 opposition in four years when she knocked out 16 seed Veronica Kudamatova. The 43-year-old rolled back the years with a straight sets win over the world number 16, coming from 5-2 down in the second set. It's just the first step in the tournament, and I'm looking for matches at this point to try to find some rhythm. It's not easy, and definitely a very challenging year with the injuries, so I'm just hoping for some luck, <laughs> and um, I got some today. Williams, now ranked 553rd, last beat a top 20 player when she defeated Kiki Burtons in this event in 2019. Novak Djokovic says he is excited at the prospect of returning to play tennis in the US as he prepared for his first tournament in the States for two years. The world number two was barred from competing in last year's US Open at Flushing Meadows over his refusal to take the COVID-19 vaccine. But with restrictions in the US now relaxed, the Serb is among the field for the ATP Masters event in Cincinnati this week. I really am excited. I was looking forward to come back and uh, to Cincinnati that I have not uh, played uh, here in Cincinnati since 2019. So it's been four years, really t fly, time flies a lot. Yeah, I look forward, you know, to, to competition. I've had an amazing uh, couple of practice sessions with great attendance, uh, lots of young tennis fans, which is something I always love to see. And uh, I'm excited to hopefully have a good tournament. It will be Djokovic's first event since he lost an epic Wimbledon final to Carlos Alcaraz last month. Chinese tennis star Jiang Shuai has pulled out of the US Open due to an injury. Jiang is a two-time Grand Slam quarterfinalist in singles and two-time major champion in doubles. Her best result in singles at the US Open was getting to the fourth round last year. Australian Nick Kyrgios is another star name that is set to miss the final Grand Slam tournament of the year. Caroline Wozniacki's second event after returning to tennis came to a quick end and left the former world number one aware that she has plenty to improve on ahead of the US Open. Wozniacki accepted a wild card for the Cincinnati main draw and was beaten 6-4, 6-4 by Vavara Garacheva of France. It came a week after Wozniacki's comeback event at the Canadian Open ended in a second round loss to Wimbledon champion Marketa Vondrasova. Wozniacki is the latest Grand Slam champion to return to competitive tennis after becoming a mother, a list that includes Serena Williams and Kim Kleisters. Chinese pair skating Olympic, Olympic champion Han Tong has announced that he will skip all competitions of the current Olympic cycle because of injury. It means the 31-year-old Han and his 28-year-old partner Sui Wenjing will not be able to defend their Olympic title at the 2026 Milan Cortina Winter Games. Sui and Han are also two-time world champions and runners-up runners-up at Pyeongchang 2018, but they have not competed since their epic victory at Beijing 2022, prompting speculation they may announce their retirement. And finally, Boston Celtics forward Kristaps Porzingis announced he will miss the upcoming FIBA Basketball World Cup because of an injury he continues to deal with in his foot. 
Porzingis, who was set to lead Latvia in the World Cup, posted on social media that a recent MRI result led to the decision not to play. He noted that it was a joint decision made with the Latvian medical and coaching staff along with the Celtics. The 7'3 Porzingis was traded to the Celtics this offseason and agreed to a two-year $60 million US dollar extension that will tie him to Boston through the 2025-26 season at a total of $96 million. Thanks, Brandon. Coming up in culture and entertainment, an art troupe in China returns to fame with new stage plays. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. To culture and entertainment now, and Yang Guang joins us. Thank you, Sui. The Shanxi People's Art Theater has turned from the brink of disbandment a decade ago to snag in the prestigious Wenhua Grand Prize with its play The Protagonist. The play's triumph is a testament to director Li Xuan's magic touch. Under her guidance, the theater carved its own identity, earning a stellar reputation in the performing world. Shen Li has more. Li has been serving as the director of the Shanxi People's Art Theater for 10 years. Over the past decade, the theater has produced three signature works, Ordinary World, White Deer Playing, and The Protagonist. All three realistic plays are adapted from Mao Dun Literature Prize-winning books by authors from Shanxi province. However, when Li came to the theater in 2012, it was on the verge of disbandment. At that time, there were only 80 people in the theater and only a dozen of them went to work. We didn't have plays or performances. Seeing the potential of the small theater scene, Lee launched a small production, Desire Pub, in 2012. The success of the play led to a boom in small dramas by the theater. It created 13 new plays in 2013 alone. Every play was profitable and everyone was confident. How could we produce 13 plays in one year? While a play was being performed, a new one was being rehearsed, another one in preparation. Plus, there was also a crew allocating various systems and signing contracts. So on average, there were four crews working every month. After seeing the success of small theater productions, 80% of actors and staff members returned to the theater. As the productions continued to grow, Li Xuan began to create a bigger theater troupe. She set a higher goal, bringing White Deer Plain, a novel by Chen Zhongshi, to the stage. The story portrays the hardship of three generations of two families living on White Deer Plain in Shanxi province. The characters witness all the major events in China from around 1900 to the 1950s. The version produced by the Shanxi People's Art Theater was well received by the audiences and was complemented by having an authentic Shanxi original style. Literature is the mother of drama. After the success of White Deer Plain, I did some homework. I read all the books that won the Maodun Literature Prize, and I found that Ordinary World is quite extraordinary. Writers from Shanxi province occupy an important place in Chinese literature. Li Xuan says the theater will follow in this writer's footsteps to bring more literary works to the stage in the years to come. That was Shen Li on the Shanxi People's Art Theater's place. A cultural heritage exhibition will take place in Xinjiang next week. It will showcase 330 intangible cultural heritage projects and attract nearly 300 inheritors from Xinjiang and 19 other provincial-level regions that offer pairing assistance. The projects include Suzhou embroidery from Jiangsu province and Uyghur music that 12 Mukam from Xinjiang. The exhibition will be held in the city of Aksu. China has been implementing the pairing assistance programs in Xinjiang since 1997, channeling financial, technical, and human resource support in various fields from other regions of China. And finally, officials from China and Kenya have launched a film festival in Nairobi calling for enhanced Sino-Kenyan cultural ties. 
The film festival marks the 60th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations between the two countries. It also features captivating works of performing arts, including kung fu, the dragon dance, and Kenya's traditional music. During the event, China and Kenya signed a memorandum of understanding to develop the film industry. Thanks, Xiang Guang. Now let's have a quick check on the weather. Beijing is 24 overnight. Tomorrow, slight rain with a high of 34. Chongqing is 29 this evening, sunny and 38 tomorrow. Lhasa is 12 overnight. Tomorrow will be cloudy and 25. Hong Kong is 27 tonight. Tomorrow, shower with 30. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 26 overnight. It will see light rain with 33 on Thursday. Islamabad is 24 tonight. Tomorrow, slight rain and 34. Bangkok is 26 overnight. Then light rain and 34 on Thursday. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: casualty number of the Hawaiian wildfires could rise as search efforts continue. The U.S. state Georgia has charged Donald Trump over the 2020 election. On behalf of the staff, this is Sui in the Chinese capital, hoping you will join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.